Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Cochiola alongside Tim Hurth. Today is Monday, December 2nd. Happy December. We've got our week 14 recap. Uh, Not a super happy one for Virginia Tech fans, but, you know, we'll talk about uh, what it means and what happened and what transpired. But, you know, first, a little special announcement from Chowder and Grits. Tim, do you know where I'm going with this? I, um... I do not. You've blindsided me here. It's our one-year anniversary. Wow. Look at that. It's been a year. Man. It's been a year. Pats on the back all around. Well, well done, Justin. Yeah, so pretty crazy. You know, we're, I don't know, we're close to 70 episodes in, and um, yeah, it's it's been a good time. We've uh, we've had a fun time watching the podcast, podcast grow and watching our audience grow. Um, you know, getting those reviews, seeing what's happening. You know, we actually, we've had a couple of, uh, low reviews over the last couple of weeks and, you know, I was thinking about it this weekend and, you know, with the amount of, uh, time and effort we put in, you know, it takes five seconds to write a bad review and, you know, it really irritates us. And I was thinking to myself, this must be what Brad Cornelson feels like. (laughs) (laughs) All the time and effort he puts into a game plan and you see those Twitter fingers out there. Just going crazy, just going crazy. You know, calling for his head, being uh, armchair quarter, quarterbacks essentially. So, uh, hey, appreciate the feedback. You know, if you're a listener and uh, have been with us for a while and haven't left a review, please uh, head on over to Apple Podcast or you know wherever you're listening. Leave those reviews, uh, preferably five stars. And uh, you know, hey, we're glad you're here listening. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's go for year number two. We're on the way. Yeah, I like it, man. It's weird to be here um, and talk about humble beginnings, man. It's hard to believe that we're still here a year after uh, doing two episodes a week uh, and cranking out these shows. And, you know, I, I'm almost kind of afraid to go listen to the first few episodes that we put out. Yeah, well, I mean, we've gone from, you know, a hundred-ish downloads a month to thousands. So, I mean, it, it's... Uh, it's pretty good. We've got we've got a decent following, like I said, and uh, you know, we uh, we thank everybody for listening, and you know, be sure to spread the word. Uh, we have a good time doing this, but you know, the more people that uh, that listen, the better off better off we are. And you know, it's uh, we're obviously focused on Virginia Tech and ACC. Obviously, a little bit of a leaning towards Virginia Tech, but uh, you know, we like to talk about those ACC schools as well, so be sure to tell all of your ACC brethren to head on over. So, you know, Tim, before we jump into uh, into the recap, how was uh, how was your Thanksgiving? It was good. It's hard to really mess up a Thanksgiving. You know, I, I was thinking that as I was eating, um, it's just a collection of some of my favorite things. Football all day. It's a lot of college basketball in the run-up. Uh, the, the week leading to... Uh, in the day or two before, you know, you have the Maui, you've got all the big preseason tournaments, you've got big time games, you've got college football games, um, you know, pro football day of, it's just, it's an awesome time. Add to that, you get to see some family, which I guess, depending on, you know, who the great Lord blessed you with, as far as family members go, could be a good or bad time. Um, you know, but for me, that's always enjoyable. And then the food, man, it doesn't get better for whatever reason. I think it's probably because I only eat it once a year. But pumpkin pie just hits, man. It hits so, it hits a spot so good. And the thing that shocked me the most is I saw a lot of pumpkin pie slander on the Twitter this week. I did too. 
What's the deal with that? I don't understand. I, I really don't understand. Pumpkin so pie is the best of the custard so we're variety. A, we're a pumpkin craze nation. Right. But then we're going to go and insult what got us there? Right. Yeah. The we progenitor. don't get to be pumpkin crazed without the pumpkin pie. No. So pump the brakes. Ooh. Chill out. Enjoy your pumpkin pies at Thanksgiving. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Take some time. You know, get some ready whip on top of that bad boy. It really doesn't get any better. Um yeah, I just don't understand because I, I was trying to think, you know, I saw this pie slander and I, I guess I kind of get it, maybe, because I mean, people have weird food opinions, that's fine, I'm not bashing anybody for having a strange food opinion, but I couldn't think of one pie I didn't like. I think that says more about me than other people, but I really can't think of one pie that I would ever slander publicly because I like them all. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think I've ever come across a pie I did not, I did not like. Uh, our Thanksgiving was a little bit different this year. We uh, woke up with a sick, sick toddler. Always fun. Um, ended up testing positive for the flu. Um, but then, literally a day later, she was fine. Hmm. So it was the quickest flu virus I've ever seen. But you know, Thanksgiving Day was a little bit, a uh, little bit sidetracked. But you know, we made the most of it. Uh, you know, my mother-in-law made made that uh, strawberry pretzel salad that I love mm-hmm. so much. So the day was saved. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was happy as a pig. Yeah. Well, I mean, you should be. Now, did you go just yeah. turkey or did you do the turkey ham combo like I did? Uh, so we just had the turkey. Okay. Just had the turkey, uh, a few casseroles in there. You know, it was, it was good. Okay. It was good. Yeah. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. And then sadly, uh, Friday had to eventually come, but yeah, I mean, having my dad here for Thanksgiving was great. Um, you know, getting to eat all that food. I had some pumpkin beers, which you were giving me a hard time for on Twitter, which I'm not sure about, but I'll take it. Um, that we're also yeah. I gotta tell good. you, I just I hate pumpkin beers. Why? I just I don't like the flavor of them. Hmm. It just you know, and I'm I'm a guy who likes pumpkin things. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm into the pumpkin spice stuff. I don't get a lot of like the Starbucks stuff, but. You know, if I see a pumpkin spice creamer, I'll go for it. I'll go for it in the store. Oh, man. Let me tell uh, you. But I love a pumpkin, pumpkin spice beer. creamer. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, pumpkin beer I've tried to get into. Uh, it's just not for me. Yeah. So, Fair I've enough. just stopped stopped trying it out. But you'll drink an IPA, which tastes like I'll drink many bubbles IPAs. and turpentine. Yes. It's interesting. You know, it tastes like drinking liquid pine tree. Yeah, I mean, that's that's your opinion. It's Bitter. obviously incorrect, but hey, Bitter. it's a free country. You're allowed to speak your mind. I don't care how much pineapple or tropical fruits you throw in an IPA. All I taste is gasoline. I'm not going to sit here and say I've got yeah. this sophisticated palate. Um, I don't know if I've ever tasted pineapple in my IPA. But. Well, I mean, I feel like the IPA is one of those they always try to throw fruit into to make it palatable. You know, you got your grapefruit yeah, IPA. Maybe. You got your orange IPA. Yeah. You got your fancy those blood orange Those are your real IPA. IPAs, though. Yeah. Like, I'm not talking about those. Like, I'm talking just uh, like you're just... You're talking about the triple IPAs, right? No, just no? your regular mm-hmm. old IPA. Yeah. yeah. You know who has a good IPA? Who? You know, uh, uh, Lag... I always, Laganitas? I always get this name wrong. Laganitas. Yeah. So, and it's it's called, it's like a summer all-day IPA. Yeah, the all-day IPA. calories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen it. No, so it's not, it's not the one, maybe it's not this. It's not the all-day IPA. Okay. It's called the Summer Something IPA, and it's it's got like 94 calories. So it's like this light IPA, but during the summertime, 
it's like, you know what? I could drink these all day. And yeah. you don't get that like weighed down IPA feeling, that headache that mm. sets in. Yeah, that's what kills me. You know, if me, you're drinking man. IPAs, you only want to drink like one or two and then, oh, yeah. you know, veer off into something else. But, your, your body makes you stop anyway because it's, you know, it's ready to vomit after two. But I hear you. Yeah. The thing is, like, I'm not a beer snob, but I know there's a, a type of beer called a session beer, which I believe is mm-hmm. one that's meant to be drank, uh, you know, two, three, four at a time, five at a time. I find that the session IPAs are more mild, thankfully. Um, and I can take down one of those, but I'm still not happy after I'm finished. It's just like, man, I don't think IPAs are ever going to grow on me. And it's sad because when I yeah. go to the craft beer yeah. store uh, down the street, like 75% of the store is dedicated to IPAs of any ilk uh, you could ever imagine. And me, as a dark beer guy, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, why not have more banana nut bread beers? You know? Yeah, so I've never actually tried one of those. Do the, it. The banana nut bread or beer, whatever. But uh, yeah, like we're in the time of year now where we're approaching the stouts. Uh, so that's what I'll kind of switch my gears to. I'll pro- I'll take I'll take some time off from the IPA, and uh, I'll start going the the stout route. But did you, you do know, you know Tim, why it's called an IPA uh, before we move on? Um, no. The hops were used as a preservative in shipping beer from Great Britain to the soldiers uh, over in India. So hence the name India, Indian Pale Ale, because oh. it's, it was extra hoppy to uh, make sure it wouldn't spoil on the long ver- voyage. So there you go, trivia time. Fantastic. It sounds like you got that key- keyboard working over there. No, no I mean, that, I have that one committed to memory, because as an oh, IPA hater, I like to stuff as many useless IPA trivia nuggets in my head so that I can throw those out at people as I'm bashing the IPA. Got it, got it. It's a hobby. Yes, that that was a very beer snob thing of you to say, by the way, just (laughs) to bring that up. You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, Tim, why don't we just stop delaying the inevitable? God, could you tell I was stalling? Yeah, and by inevitable, I mean, you know, the Hokies were in the Maui Invitational. Perfect. They, uh, They beat Michigan State in the first game, top three team in the country, and then dropped the final two. Uh, so, you know, decent performance by the men's basketball team. Um, yeah, anything else happened with Virginia Tech nah, this week? Not that I'm aware of. I No? Okay. Yeah. Nope. Well, well, let's just talk about it. Let's just get it out of the way. All right. So we, we had Virginia, Virginia Tech, battle for the Commonwealth Cup. Third time they've met over the last uh, 16 years for the Coastal Division title. Virginia Tech was obviously 2-0 heading into this game, 15-0 over the last 15 years, and uh, they saw the streak come to an end. The streak is over. UVA is the seventh team in seven years to win the chaotic Coastal, so it is Coastal chaos as much as it could possibly be. So UVA goes on to face Clemson. Uh, in the ACC championship game. I mean, it really was a great game if you sit back and think about it. Sure. Um, it, it really felt like a kind of a, a heavyweight boxing match um, to where it's like, you know, one guy punches, the next guy punches harder. And it was back and forth there for a little bit. Um, you know, the, the thing for me is, you know, yeah, you know, the defense didn't play particularly great, especially after coming off of the last few games. Um, but... Bryce Perkins was just completely unstoppable. You know, he he was the best player on the field. Right. 
UVA had 492 yards of offense. Bryce Perkins accounted for 475 of them. So, you know, you came into the game knowing that UVA had one guy that they needed to stop. Or Virginia Tech had one guy that they needed to stop on UVA. That was Bryce Perkins. That was no secret. They couldn't do it. Bryce Perkins played the best game of his career in, you know, the biggest moment. It was it had it is the biggest moment of his career up until this point, uh, with you know the Coastal Division on the line, with the ACC Championship game on the line, potentially with the Orange Bowl on the line, and to snap the 15 game losing streak to Virginia Tech. So, um, you know, hats off to Bryce Perkins. Uh, I I sat there and I thought to myself, you know, I think it's easy to say that Virginia outcoached Virginia Tech in some facets of the game. But the more I thought about it, I'm not sure they did because it was just Bryce Perkins. Right. And Virginia Tech just couldn't stop the guy. And, I mean, you saw um, Bronco Mendenhall just go up and, like, bury his head into Bryce Perkins after the game. If you were still watching by that point, you know, I sat there and made myself watch it. Right. Um, And it was just like he knew they had zero chance of – winning nine games, winning the Coastal, beating Virginia Tech, unless they had Bryce Perkins on that football field. And credit to them, they made it work. Um, you know, the the jury's still out on me with UVA as to whether or not, you know, they're actually building a program where they found kind of lightning in the bottle with one player. It feels a lot to me like Syracuse with Eric Dungy. So they had a 10-win season last year. They entered this year. They they have five five wins, two against Power Five. So, you know, we'll see. Jerry's still out on that. Got to give credit to Virginia. They came out. They competed to the end. Um, you know, from a Virginia Tech standpoint, you know, Brad Cornel- Cornelson was, was the target. And, you know, I'll say this about Brad. And, you know, I was frustrated on Friday after the game and, um, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, the offense still had 30 points. Yeah. Okay? Now – 30 points in today's college football doesn't guarantee you anything. Okay? Just guarantees that you got 30 points. Yeah. Offenses are flying around on the field, scoring a lot of points. Looking back at the game, the offense did enough to win the game. You know, if I had said Virginia Tech scores 30 against Virginia, I'd say they'd probably win. Yes, I, I agree. Based off of how the defense had played. I agree. Leading into this, the only thing into this football game. I will say... Um, is I think we left a lot of points on the scoreboard um, that we could have scored. And my issue with Cornelson and whoever drew up the game plan with Brad Cornelson uh, wasn't necessarily the fact that he wasn't getting yards and he wasn't scoring points because he was, but the play calling was far too timid and far too scared uh, for my likings against a team which had been decimated with injuries in the secondary, which we should have attacked vertically from the jump. Um, And for whatever reason, we didn't. uh, We sat and stayed running the ball like we had the lead late in the game. Um, You know, we we were seeing quarterback power runs on third and long, um, you know, halfback handoffs on third and 12. And and especially, you know, when we got towards the red zone, we tended to bog down. And it just, it was that level of, of aggression that was, missing I think we paid Virginia far too much respect on the offensive end of the ball and I really 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 do not like going into that game playing as conservatively as we did 
when we could have opened that game up from the jump. And that's really, really the most frustrating thing to me. I wasn't necessarily as upset with his play calls overall, but I will say in some huge positions in that game where he could have made, Brad in this case, could have made some play calls to at least attempt to get some first downs as opposed to handing off the ball and conceding to, to win the field position battle. Um, I really think we could have done more. And that kind of what if is really what's bothering me right now because I think if we went out there with the right mentality, I think we could have you know put a stranglehold on them, stepped our foot right on their neck and, and not allowed them up off the mat. But instead, we let them hang around. We let them get in the game. Um, and stay in the game because we weren't interested in going out there and, and lighting up that scoreboard and doing what we could do. And and, and that's frustrating to me. And I, I lay all of that criticism, most of that criticism at Cornelson's feet. Yeah, and I mean, I will agree with you that I thought the offensive play calling was a tad conservative there in the first half. Uh, I felt like they were attacking the strength of the UVA defense exactly. more than trying to attack the weakness. Right. Um, so that to me, I, I was I was having a hard time figuring out um, because it was pretty consistent. You know, as far as the play calls go, I didn't necessarily have an issue with the the plays that were being called. I just you know thought, you know, hey, the secondary is really banged up here. Why aren't we attacking the secondary? Right. Now, the thing with Cornelson, I think what gets him in trouble with the fan base is, I'd say for the majority of the game at least over the last few weeks, he's called a good game. But it's the plays that he's calling in big moments exactly. that drive us nuts. And, you know, third and goal on the eight or whatever it was, <laughs> you run a jet sweep yep. to the short side of the field. You know, that's probably not going to work. Okay. Just things like that, and then, you know, oh, well, you know, if it works, you know, then you wouldn't complain about it. Well, yeah, if I run a fake field goal on the two and it works, yeah, I guess I'm not going to complain, but is it a dumb call? Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I just didn't like the call. Now, it's easy for us to sit back here and say, you know, hey, why call this here? Why call that there? Again, the first half just felt very conservative to me. It did. I don't think that's the reason they lost. The reason I feel like they lost the game was because they couldn't stop Bryce Perkins. Oh, no, no. No and doubt. That is the reason. For sure. For sure. I just I think there was criticisms on both sides of the ball, 110%. But I didn't want to yeah. lob it all at the defense's feet either because I think we could have done more on offense. Um, should have done more on offense. And I think you stated it perfectly. Um, we should have attacked the weakness of the defense. We should have attacked a weakness, period. I don't care what sport you are. But if you're drawing up a game plan, attacking the weakness is like the first checkbox that you circle when you say, you know what, this is what we're going to base our game plan around. And instead, we spent the first half running the ball right into the jaws of the Virginia defense where they're still rather strong. That was frustrating. And, and yeah, you can talk about the defense all you want, and you should, because make no mistakes in this, there was one person that was going to beat us. One. One singular person. And for some reason, given all the talent that we have on that defensive side of the football field, we were not able to slow him down. And that that's hard to swallow. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the thing with the offense, going back to it, you know, we are a run-first offense with Hendon Hooker. No doubt. Helm. So that's that's what they came in there trying to do. 
you know, I had questions about why is Keyshawn King not on the field in the first half. Great You point. know, I understand that he has struggled to hold on to the football at times. You know, he doesn't seem like he's a great pass blocker. We weren't really passing the ball much. So why do we have Dalton Keene in the backfield? It's just the question I have. Inexplicable. I'm not throwing it out there as a criticism. Oh, I you am. Know, maybe there was a reason. Maybe there was a reason. I, I don't know maybe what that reason Maybe something happened been. in practice, and he was suspended for the first half, and they kept it in-house. Okay, maybe. There had to be a reason, because he played in the second half. So it wasn't like he was banged up. It wasn't like he was ready to go. Fuente, if you're banged up and you're not going to go, you're not going to go. Okay, so I don't think it was, oh, let's hold him back and see what happens. You know, they came out guns blazing in the second half, attacking that secondary. So it would have made less sense for, for King to be in the game. So Well, that's what irritated me from the jump is that that's how we should have started the first half. Attack the weakness I just, I don't of know if you defense. noticed this, but... And again, I, I don't know what this means, but there was a lot of Nick Gallo on the field, yeah, which we hadn't really seen him much this year. There was a lot of three tight ends on the field with Keen in the backfield, um, Mitchell and Gallo either blocking or or running out to catch passes. So right. I don't I don't know what was going on in that sense. It's just something I noticed. You know, defensively, you know, we had two very long Bryce Perkin touchdown runs, and outside of those two plays. The defense was able to keep him in check. Uh, after the second run, you know, they kept him in check. But the damage had been done. I mean, they got two touchdowns on those two runs. You know, he had almost 170 yards rushing. Um, I mean, it's just inexcusable. Yeah. You know the guy is going to try to run. And on the first drive, you just saw him on third and long, take off. On third and long, take off. On third and long, take off. And they couldn't stop it. And, I mean, other than that, other than just stopping him when he gets out of the pocket in the first half, the defense looked pretty strong, even in the secondary. Sure. Then they come out in the second half. Obviously, they've changed things up. They're trying to contain Perkins a little bit more. He had a little bit more time to throw the ball. He started picking off the secondary down the field because, you know, it was very clear Virginia Tech missed Caleb Farley out there. He didn't go. He had back spasms. I get it. You know, that's something he's battled all season. You know, Fuente wanted to keep him out. It's still not an excuse for the secondary, you know. UVA's without Bryce Hall. They got they got to figure it out. Virginia Tech didn't figure it out. They were letting guys beat them, running wide open consistently throughout the second half, and you know that that to me was frustrating. Um, why that happened, I don't really know. I mean, I I didn't see anything UVA was doing that shocked me. No, like it, it was the same kind of offense that they've been running all season. Virginia Tech just couldn't stop it. Um, and, you know, like I said, it's a rivalry game. You know, teams play up. You know, emotions are high. Um, you know, guys are going to show out a little bit. So it is what it is. You know, there's no reason to dwell on it so much. I mean, definitely take it back to the drawing drawing board if you're Virginia Tech. Learn from it. Figure out what went wrong. Uh, you know, obviously that's not going to bring back a win for you. The most frustrating part of the game for me, Tim, was the last drive for Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. Because they looked 100% unprepared for the situation. And, you know, Virginia had just gotten a 48-yard field goal kick by Brian Delaney. You know, heck of a kick. I thought they might go for it because 48 yards, the guy missed an extra point earlier on. You know, 48-yard in college football, that is probably less than a 10% chance of making it. Um, And he drilled it. They go up three. Virginia Tech still had a minute 20. 
They get the kickoff. Bonehead mistake. They take a knee. He had plenty of, of distance to, to make a play there. And then three consecutive plays, three sacks, including a fumble in the end zone that was recovered for a touchdown. So it was an obvious situation, obvious pass situation in all three of those plays. But the thing that really bothered me was just how unprepared they looked. You'd have to imagine Virginia Tech has practiced that all week. What's the two-minute situation with the game on the line? What do we do? And they looked like they had no idea they looked like a deer in headlights well go flash it back to the end of the first half justin same thing we had time for a two-minute drill and i don't think we're able to run a two-minute drill at this point i really don't the team seems so so totally lost we've seen it before we We saw it in the miami game we have but i where is it if if we have one that's consistent that we practice all the time where the heck was it we had two times to bring it out we had literally i think a, a, a minute 40 uh, before half with the ball, where we should have been more aggressive and tried to get some points on the board. Um, and, and maybe we did try. It just didn't look like a, a solid attempt. And then the end of that game was an absolute disaster. Yeah, I mean, that that was just my biggest frustration was sure. what in the world happened on that last drive? Or it wasn't technically the last drive. Okay, the last drive for Virginia Tech right. that cost them the game. Because, I mean, they have plenty of time. You know, this wasn't like 20 seconds Get it and go. This was a minute 20. They had timeouts. Three sacks, including the fumble, return for the touchdown. So, you know, is what it is. You know, I felt like the game was there for the taking for either team. And, you know, there was a period in the third quarter where I thought Virginia Tech had started to get that momentum, was going to take control of the game when they went up 20-13. to It felt like the tide had turned. Yeah. But then Bryce Perkins starts storming down the field, and that's when the secondary was was vulnerable and and just couldn't rebound the rest of the game. So, you know, again, I think in the end, I don't know if UVA wanted it more, but they had guys step up and make plays when they needed to be made. And, you know, hats off to Brian Delaney. You know, without him kicking that 48-yard field goal, they probably lose the game. Because it's a completely different situation. Virginia Tech's at midfield. You know, they'd have plenty of time to, to go down the field and score. You know, there's a good chance they lose the game. I'm not going to say probably. Yeah. But, you know, the game, to me, in the very least, probably should have gotten to overtime. But in the end, tough ending to a regular season that, that was a roller coaster. Um, and it's a roller coaster that, you know, hit a, a pretty high peak there uh, towards the end of the season and had really gotten rolling. And, you know, hey, you lost to your rival. That's fine. You know, teams lose their rival every single year. You know, we're not used to UVA being good. UVA's good now. You know, they're good with Bryce Perkins. It's not a 3-9 and nine UVA football team. It's a team that's now 9-3 and three going on to the ACC championship. So, yeah. But, you know, yeah, we've been used to beating up on bad UVA teams. That's what we've done over the last 15 years for the most part. There's been a good team here and there mixed in. But, um, you know, this game coming into it was pretty much a toss-up. And, and UVA got the better half of it. Yeah, and then, you know, I think 2020 certainly looms large for them as far as how do they replace um, that sort of offensive production. Uh, when you look at the stats, it's startling, but he basically accounted for 400 of their 420 yards of offense, which is, to me, unheard of. Um, so where, where will UVA, UVA be next year? Are they a good team? They're definitely a good team this year. The program is in much better stead. 
2020 should provide some challenges. But for the Hokies, it's hard not to come out of this game feeling like the win was was right there for the taking and it wasn't taken. And it's so easy to just focus on that negative um, without looking at the positive. Because as you mentioned, uh, you know, this has been a roller coaster of a season. And to be where we are now from where we started at Duke, um, you know, I, I know Fuente has been getting a hard time online by a small portion of the fan base. And I think everybody just kind of needs to take a, a, a deep breath and look at the body of work here. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's any doubt that we're a talented team, but there were, there were clearly some issues as far as depth goes um, and maybe some issues that we won't find out until after the season. But to rally the troops in the manner that we were able to, to even put us in a position where we would be playing for the division in the last game of the regular season is, is somewhat outstanding and remarkable to me. Um, so I just wanted to end this kind of on a positive note because, like I said, it is really easy to look at the negative, admire yourself in it. And in some places, that's warranted. Um, In some aspects of this game plan, if you want to go through a nitpick it, there are plenty of places to be negative, especially uh, where that defensive uh, game plan was concerned on how to stop Perkins and where that offensive game plan was concerned on the strategy of how to attack the UVA defense. All valid questions. And and there are more that you could pull out and point at. Um, But what I don't want lost and what I don't want soured is what an amazing job, I think, uh, Justin Fuente did this year uh, on the whole when you consider all the things he's done to even get us in the position where this game meant as much as it did. Um, and, you know, for UVA, uh, hats off to them. They go off to uh, represent the Coastal in the ACC championship game. Um, and and hopefully that uh, the Commonwealth Cup is going to be a year-long rental because I guarantee you uh, Lane Stadium and that 2020 Hokie football team are going to be ready uh, for that game next year. And I'll, I'll say this about Justin Fuente because I think there is more uh, than a little bit of the fan base that uh, is more negative on Fuente than positive. Virginia Tech from 2012 to 2015. Seven wins, eight wins, seven wins, seven wins. Justin Fuente came to Virginia Tech in 2016. Ten wins, Coastal Division title. Nine wins. Six wins last year, and we're up to eight wins already. So if you think that the Fuente-led era has been so bad, go back and revisit the four years before him. He is building a program here. It hasn't been perfect. Okay? The year and a half, basically from October on, has been positive. The year and a half before that was a weird time in Virginia Tech football history. I think we'll all agree to that. But it seems like he's righted the ship here. And, you know, there's just this rhetoric that Justin Fuente isn't the guy. Let me tell you, I was in SEC country this year, or this weekend. I had multiple fan bases that now need head coaches. Justin Fuente's name is all over the message boards. He is a guy who is coveted as a head coach. And, okay, what has he done for me at Virginia Tech? Has he won an ACC championship? Has anybody won an ACC championship other than Clemson? Clemson is at (laughs) an extremely high level right now. Right. So I'm tired of hearing that argument. Throw it away, okay? Because if that's your standard right now, you're going to be nothing but disappointed basically until Virginia Tech is a college football playoff caliber team. And they're not there yet. Can they get there under Fuente? Yeah, I think they can. 
and I think they're pretty close. They have 21 returning starters for next season from this team. This team is going to be 8-4, and four, potentially 9 wins after a bowl game. That's a very young football team, a team that's going to be much more experienced next year, much more battle-tested. We'll see what happens with the transfer portal. It's unpredictable, and you can't say, oh, it's a cultural issue with the transfer portal. No, it's just part of college football these days. Guys are going to transfer. So just get rid of the negativity. Yeah, Fuente has done a very solid job since being head coach of Virginia Tech, and better than people think. I understand what Frank Beamer did for the program, and I'm not diminishing that. You know, you look from 2004 to 2011, you know, nothing but 10 wins or more. Fantastic. 2012 to 2015, eight wins was the best. Three, seven, and six seasons. Yeah, Fuente had a six and seven season. Whatever. It happened, okay? Ten wins, nine wins, eight wins maybe some more in 2019. I think that's a pretty good start for a guy trying to put his stamp on the program, rebuild things. We're starting to see his guys really take hold, really come into those, you know, sophomore junior years. Let's see what happens, okay? You got to start being more positive as a fan base, you know. Yeah. You can point to some assistants that aren't doing a great job. I'm sure he's going to assess the situation. You know, Jerry Kill is in there for that very reason. We saw the Jerry Kill effect take place. You know, yeah, let's see what happens. You know, maybe he assigns a, a couple of guys on the staff to different roles. Maybe he gets rid of some. Maybe he brings in replacements. But it is what it is at this point. It seems like what has worked over the last six to seven weeks, you know, is the model for success going forward. You know, there's a lot of quarterbacks that can run the system now. We've got Hinton Hooker this year. You know, we've got Quincy Patterson in the future. Let's see what Braxton Burmeister looks like. That'll be an interesting situation. Don't freak out if you see a quarterback enter the transfer portal. It's a very crowded room right now. You got Demetrius Davis coming in next year, potentially. So, I mean, I, th- I think it's a pretty positive day at Virginia Tech. Yeah. Yeah. You lost to Virginia. I understand. First time in 15 years. But at the end of the day, that's going to happen. You're not going to beat your rival every single year unless you're Virginia Tech or Ohio State. But let's move on. Bowl season is ahead of us. You should be glad that Justin Fuente is your head coach. You should be excited about next year with 21 returning starters. I think it's a pretty good time to be a Virginia Tech football fan. Yeah, I do too. And, you know, a couple of the things that were bothering me about Fuente, which haven't been addressed 100%, or I think he needs to get better in recruiting. And as you said, I think that can be addressed through some changes in his staff. Um, obviously, Cornelson's been a big issue for me. Uh, you know, his crunch time play calling, um, his game plans have left a lot to be desired to me. The, the sight of the jet sweep makes me physically ill at this point. Um, but he, he certainly has stepped it up as of late in the second half of the season. While I still think he needs to be, you know, changed out for someone that uh, maybe can make uh, some some more changes and maybe be a little more creative with the offense. I, I think that would be a good thing. Um, but what I've seen from Justin Fuente, the most important thing I've seen is a lot of times these coaches are done in by their own pride. What I mean by that is it takes a special kind of coach to sit back and say, you know what, this isn't working, and then go hire a, a highly respected former head coach to come in. And, and what I think he did is basically – came in and pointed out all the deficiencies and said, here's what you can patch up now and we'll work on patching up the other stuff later. And it takes a lot for a head coach to do that. 
And let me tell you, that's a sign of leadership, uh, being able to see where you're deficient um, and, and, and putting the right pegs in the right holes and filling those gaps. And I saw that from Puente when the kill hire was made. And I think it's paid dividends to this point for us. I think that that has to be the spark. That's the only real thing that changed. And as long as Fuente can keep making these correct decisions when it comes to these things, I think we are going to be in good stead because he does have the program going in the right direction. He does have the culture right. He has so many things right. And recruiting, sure, hasn't been great this year. But he was recruiting better than Beamer was his first three years here. Um, at least towards the end of Beamer's tenure, which should be no surprise to anyone. And I'm, I'm telling you, this year's class, I understand the number is not pretty. Okay? You've got like 12 scholarships. So it is not as bad as it looks. It, it's Again, right. you're not it, pulling it's in not. a four or five star. I understand. You don't have to argue that point with me. But do I think it's going to break the program? No. No. I agree. I agree. And then you see him go out and snag uh, a, a blue chip quarterback from Houston who just looks like absolute dynamite right now. Uh, Texas Tyrod. Well, is look at Narelle Pollard. Yeah. Was he a five star? No. No, he wasn't. No. He was a middle of the road three star. And that guy's been a monster this year. Yeah. So, you know, there's who cares how many stars you have? If you can get guys in there and they can perform better than their rating, you'll be doing fine. And like oh, I said, wait, do, yeah. do you mean the thing that Virginia Tech has literally been doing since its inception forever. as a football program, since Frank Beamer took us out of the yeah. the basement forever? Yeah, I mean that's for some reason our fan base has this grand delusion that Virginia Tech used to be a recruiting powerhouse at some point in our football's you know history, and that's just not the case. Virginia Tech's bread and butter was finding those three stars, those middle-of-the-road guys that fit the scheme and fit the identity and fit the culture of what they were trying to build and leverage them to take three-star players and put out four- to five-star talent on the field. And you can still do that. I mean, this whole recruiting game is, is it, it's just a crapshoot most of the time. Um, if we're able to you know, sprinkle in some four-star guys and the, the odd five-star guy every now and then, we'll be doing exactly what Beamer was doing. The key there is are we going to find the guy that is going to bring in the culture that's going to foster the growth of these three stars into something that's greater than the sum of their parts? And I think, I think that Justin Fuente could be that guy. And, you know, I think the talent identification is there. And I think all the other pieces, especially with the way he brought a broken team together midseason, says a lot about the guy. So let's all hang in there. Let's keep reality in line with our expectations um, and just make sure we frame everything with the fact that this is not your 2004 to 2010 ACC. This is a whole different landscape with a whole bunch of new challenges. And it's not easy. And it is not easy. But what we have seen this year deserves a lot of praise, even though it was extremely imperfect, as you noted, and and should only give Virginia Tech fans hope for where this may go next year. Now, if we're sitting here having this conversation next year about another eight-win season, we have problems based on what that team is looking like right now. 2020 should be a big year for the Hokies when you consider what's producing on that field right now and what's returning next year to go play football for the maroon and orange. So let's just all hang tight. And, and like I said, there is a vocal minority who's very anti-Fuente, and I understand that exists, that schism exists in just about every fan base. 
But again, reframe your expectations. Look at what he's done. 2020 should be a very fun year for the Hokies. Yeah, it should. A lot of a lot of interesting matchups. You know, you got Penn State. Uh, you know, you've got an out of conference team like Middle Tennessee. That's you know, it's not a you know a huge matchup, but they're a pretty solid tier two program, I'd say. Uh, typically, year in and year out. So, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, there's a road trip to Louisville in there. So, you know, playing a few different teams. It should be a fun year. Should be a fun team to watch. I'm positive on the program right now. I think Fuente's the right guy. Let's see what he does with the defense coordinator. Let's see if he makes any changes to the uh, offensive staff. Let's see what happens with the transfer portal. I'm sure they'll go into 2020 with an open quarterback competition like they always do. And we'll see how it plays out. But we have plenty of time to talk about that. Let's uh, turn our attention to the rest of the ACC. And Tim, I got to tell you, just craziness ensued once again. Duke, Syracuse, Boston College, all pull upsets. Louisville gets trounced for the Governor's Cup. But first, let's talk about Clemson. So Clemson headed to Charlotte for the ACC Championship against UVA. Uh, They take down South Carolina 38-3. Trevor Lawrence, if you do remember, uh, there was a time this season where he was getting criticized for his level of play. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, he has been on a tear recently. 295, three touchdowns, had 18 straight completions in this game. Also led the team in rushing with 66 yards. 27th straight win for Clemson. Third consecutive regular season finishing at 12-0. And their sixth straight win over South Carolina. So, fewest points scored against Clemson since 89 for the Gamecocks. The Clemson D allowed 174 yards. Why is that notable? All 12 opponents this year that they faced have been held to 300 total yards of offense or less. Nobody has gotten over 300. That's a That's crazy pretty statistic, especially for a Clemson team that came into the season with some question marks about their defense because there was a lot of talent they lost uh, in between last year and this year. Um, and I would say that's an emphatic, uh, hey, we're fine uh, from Venables and company. Yeah, we're doing just fine, and we're very confident we're going to be in the college football playoff again. So. Uh, it will be an interesting matchup uh, next week against Virginia. Uh, that being said, I don't expect many issues for Clemson. They should be able to take care of that secondary. Trevor Lawrence has been, uh, like I said, on a tear. They've been under the radar somehow, 27 straight wins. Uh, they basically have to be perfect week in and week out, and they'll have the chance to uh, to prove that on a national stage most likely uh, pretty soon with the college football playoff approaching. So we'll see where they end up in the seeding. Uh, probably going to be a three seed. Um, and then that four seed is what looms large really with, uh, you'd have to assume, LSU and Ohio State win their conference championship games next week. Um, UNC, NC State, Tim, 41-10 Tar Heels. Tar Heels are now bowl eligible. Uh, so a big uh, a big win for Mac Brown. And uh, a big step for this program going forward. They scored 35 points to uh, to NC State's zero in the second half. And uh, Sam Howell, once again, 400 yards, three touchdowns, just keeps keeps doing what he's doing. Why don't you uh, Why don't you fill us in on the rest of this one, then? Oh, excuse me. I have to uh, take my head out of the bucket that I was vomiting in as you were going over that stat line. I am really upset with the way NC State has crumbled this year um, and a lot a lot of it due to some head coaching decisions that were bad most of it due to 
injuries um, in a quarterback situation that just could not have worked out uh, any worse. Uh, Matt McKay transferring out of NC State today, or at least announcing his transfer today, which is fine. Um, you know, Matt McKay, great guy, not a great quarterback, as we've seen. There's not a great quarterback seemingly on NC State's roster. Um, the part that hurts is the team just doesn't look like it's trying anymore. Looks discouraged, dejected, and you saw a UNC team who has not had much luck against NC State the past four years uh, come in after a strong first half from NC State uh, and trounce them thoroughly in the third and fourth quarters. And that's been an issue for NC State all year. The decent first half performance paired with a complete falling apart in the third and fourth quarters. And that, to me, screams uh, a coaching staff that is not able uh, to make the proper changes needed to address uh, changes made by the opposing team at halftime. Um, we've, we've seen it uh, rear its head with Virginia Tech in a lot of ways uh, last year. Some of our frustrations with Cornelson were, were some of that same type of complaint. Uh, and here we're seeing it with NC State to the nth degree, completely falling apart against UNC and Louisville at home uh, after strong first halves, and even Georgia Tech, very similar. Um, so Dave Dorn's got a lot of tough questions to answer in Raleigh at this point. Um, losing 41-10 to 10 to UNC, uh, that's not going to fly uh, with the NC State fan base, with the NC State alumni. Um, and it's really a school that hasn't really fallen in love with Doran to this point. Um, and this certainly is not going to help endear him to that fan base. So uh, what happened is really hard to say because you could have a laundry list of why what happened on Saturday night happened. Um, you know, injuries, young team, yada, 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 all the typical excuses. But what happened on Saturday night can't happen. And that's the problem now for Dave Doran in NC State. New athletic director Boo Corrigan, what does he do? He didn't hire Dave Doran. Um, does this become a situation where you go to Doran and you say, look, you need to completely reshape your coaching staff a la Texas? Uh, and what Herman's having to do down there in Austin? Um, or is this an outside shot at a firing uh, that a lot wouldn't, a lot of people wouldn't see coming? I, I really don't know. Um, I suspect that he wouldn't be fired because he's got a large buyout. Um, but I would expect a huge coaching shakeup at NC State because the offensive coordinators didn't work out. They failed to a hilarious extent. And the defensive coordinator, Dave Huxtable, has needed to be gone for multiple seasons now. So... Um, yeah, it's sort of the perfect storm, and Sam Howell and Mac Brown uh, are the recipients and are the uh, driving force behind that storm. They go home happy. Um, Sam, again, seems like an absolute rock star to me. Um, you know, I was expecting him to be good, and, and, and he's turned out one of the best true freshman seasons uh, in ACC history. It's, it's got to be up there. The guy's just got ice water in his veins. Um, Daz Newsom's continued to make just amazing plays. Phil Longo had that offense churning in the second half of that game. Um, and yeah, bowling, which is the big thing for UNC there. They're actually going bowling after such a disappointing campaign in 2018. Yeah, you know, Florida State fans must just be bashing their heads into a wall every time <laughs> they see Sam Howell play quarterback. Yes. Because, I mean, this guy... Just a different level. 3,300 yards this year, 35 touchdowns, 7 picks. Surefire bet for ACC Rookie of the Year. Might win ACC Player of the Year. I mean, he's good. it, it would be tough to argue that he shouldn't win that award. Uh, I mean, he's led North Carolina to 6 wins in a bowl. You know, they were not expected to do that. Uh, NC State, 
you know, I think there's an argument there for them. They might be the worst team in the ACC this year. I think they are. If if we if we oh, look easily. at the teams today, you know, I mean, and, and that was not really even a thought coming into the season. Like, now there weren't super high expectations for NC State, but worst team in the ACC. No, definitely was not on the table. No. I mean, you were expecting at least I was expecting a 500 season ish out of them, uh, eight to nine wins, 500 season, something along those lines. Um, what we got is the reason why I don't think Dave Dorn's job is safe, um, because this is a monumentous failure uh, from every level. You talk about coaching staff, you talk about results, um, you talk about talent watchability. That product he put out was heinous. Uh, well, and it's starting I also to think show in, in the stands. I, I know you don't like to hear this, but tons of injuries. And so that just, you know, exacerbates the situation. Now, do they need to make some coaching changes on the staff? Yeah, probably. Uh, but I think firing Dave Doran would be a mistake. Um, and he alluded to, you know, some changes need to be made at the end of the game and, um, you know, said he was going to go back and basically assess everything. The big issue with NC State is who's, who's the quarterback going forward? Who's the quarterback next year, you know? Yeah. It, it looks like. They're in a need to find somebody in the grad transfer portal that can come in and play immediately and, and try to save next season because unless they've got a big-name recruit coming in that's going to be able to impact them immediately like Sam Howell, you know, I'd say next season's in jeopardy at this point. Hey, look, maybe Felipe Franks is going to pull a Jacoby Brissett, go, for, go, go oh, Gainesville to Raleigh yeah. and end up in the NFL, baby. Let's, let's hope for NC State sick <laughs> that doesn't happen. <laughs> Yeah, no, there there was a pundit, and I can't remember who, that, that cited that as a potential need for oh, NC State, goodness. and I was just wondering, sorry, I dropped my cell phone. Um, I was just thinking in my head, wow, I couldn't imagine a worse scenario than going from this <laughs> terrible season that NC State has had to, to pinning Felipe your hopes Franks. on the shoulder of Felipe Franks. Yeah. Um, no disrespect intended, but man, that's kind of funny. Yeah, that would that would be bad. Uh, let's see, what do we got here? Georgia, 52, Georgia Tech, 7. Biggest blowout in the series history. Uh, third straight win over Georgia Tech for the Bulldogs. Uh, they've won those three games by a combined 135 to 35. Georgia Tech only had seven first downs in this game, 139 yards of offense. James Graham was 5 for 20 for 40 yards, did have a touchdown. Yellow Jackets finished 3-9. and nine. So, I mean, I think that's about kind of where we had them. You know, the three wins weren't necessarily what, what we thought they would be. Uh, but it's just a team that's got a lot of work ahead. I mean, it's a team that's not going to be good next year. You know, it, this is a team that's probably at least two years away, maybe even three from uh, from being a real threat. That being said, they'll still be able to knock off a team here and there like they did this year to Miami. Uh, but Miami is a different train wreck that we'll talk about later. You know, Georgia really kind of continues to struggle on offense this season with consistency. You know, Jake Fromm, you know, that's the guy who, you know, Mel Kuyper's big board, number five quarterback, or, you know, in the top five. He's had four straight games of under a 50% completion rate. The Georgia Tech defense is not good. So him going 14-29, to 29, it's got to be somewhat concerning heading into the SEC championship game against uh, LSU. DeAndre Swift also left banged up, got hurt in the game, so that's something to watch. Will he be ready to go? Believe it was a shoulder injury. Sounds like he will, but, you know, he also looked pretty banged up to me. So, you know, not a surprise here. Georgia gets the win, uh, heads back to Atlanta next week to take on the Tigers and Coach O. 
yeah, another version of clean, old-fashioned hate in the dirty, dirty. Um, but it ended up not working out so well for Georgia Tech. The only thing I really wanted to shout out was how much of an idiot George Pickens is. Um, this guy is so important to Georgia's uh, effectiveness on offense. He's one of the few guys that's actually a deep threat on that Georgia team, and he can really help out Jake Fromm and some of his struggles. And instead of playing uh, next week, he is going to be sitting on the sidelines because he decided to punch a man repeatedly with a helmet on towards the end of the game. So, um, one, I've never understood why you would want to punch someone wearing a helmet. Uh, but two, maybe one of the uh, sel- most selfish acts I've seen on a football field because there's no way uh, that was worth it. And, and George has got to be better than that. Kentucky 45, Louisville 13. Uh, the wide receiver turned quarterback has worked out very well for Kentucky. That's Lynn Bowden I'm talking about. Now 5-2 and two since his takeover. He had 284 yards rushing and four touchdowns. Uh, Kentucky had a school record 517 yards rushing in the game. You know, we said it on the preview. Kentucky had a pretty stingy defense coming into this game, a strong ground attack. We weren't sure how the Cardinals were going to match up. I think we both gave the edge to Louisville, uh, but we did get our answer here. The Louisville D has been an issue all season, so that wasn't a shock that you know they gave up a bunch of yards, but they just couldn't get anything going offensively. You know, Javion Hawkins had a solid day, one forty plus on the ground and a fifty-six yard touchdown, but you know, other than that, Louisville didn't score after halftime. So tough, uh, tough ending to a very good season for Scott Satterfield in year one. Uh, they are seven and five. They will be heading to a bowl. Um, you know, I think I saw potentially the Music City Bowl against Tennessee, so that would be uh, uh, that would be an interesting little matchup there for for Kentucky. And talk about uh, an idiotic player, Tim. I don't know if you saw the Tennessee uh, highlight. Oof. I can't remember the guy's name, but Jennings. Yeah, basically just uh, yeah, Jawan Jennings uh, just stomped on a guy's face um, after driving him into the ground. So yeah, mm. good day all around for. Uh, for some of uh for some of the top athletes in the country which is unfortunate but Louisville they're going home Gover- governor's cup lists uh let's see what they can do next year as uh Kentucky will head over to Louisville to uh to defend the cup yeah you got to love Lynn Bowden Jr's stat line as a quarterback one for two four yards uh in a resounding victory against uh, the Louisville Cardinals so Lynn Bowden really stuffing the stat sheet through the air. Um, but then again, his legs did all the talking, 22 for 284. Uh, a quarterback almost putting up 300 yards of offense uh, on the ground, a pretty big deal. So big game from Bowden, uh, not a big game from Satterfield and the, and the fun bunch down there, but you know, a big year from them and a really, really great year from Satterfield on the whole. And I know Louisville is going to be jumping for joy that they're going to be able to go to a bowl and get those extra practice days in because – uh, as a squad, they certainly uh, could use it, given what they're trying to do and how they're trying to build. So big win for Kentucky. Stinks, obviously, for Louisville, but zooming out and kind of looking at the bird's eye view on this, uh, pretty darn good season. Shocker of the day. Syracuse 39, Wake 30 in overtime. You know, Trill Williams gets the strip fumble return from Kendall Hinton for 94 yards in OT to uh, seal the game for the Orange. A cool story for Clayton Welch, if you're oh, not yeah. familiar. So, uh, redshirt senior quarterback gets his first and only start on senior day. 
Uh, and again, this is Syracuse's last game. So that was it for him. They get the W. DeVito got hurt in practice uh, earlier this week and uh, was not able to go. Welsh goes 21 for 36 for 234 and two touchdowns. So cool story for him. Uh, you know, Jamie Newman, he got hurt in the second quarter, didn't return. Sam Hartman finished the game. Big, big issue for Wake here was three interceptions and a fumble in the first half. Really struggled to hold on to the football. Uh, they end the season on a three-game losing streak after starting 8-1. and one. So disappointing finish. Ten wins is out the window. Uh, had they won this game, they would have been able to get the, uh, you know, outside of UVA, and I'm excluding Clemson from this because they're in the most likely in the college football playoff, they would have gotten the uh, second-highest bowl. Uh, but now Virginia Tech will jump them because Virginia Tech beat Wake Forest. So both of these teams finished with eight, eight wins. Um, not that that really matters, but uh, kind of a disappointing end for, uh, for Wake after a, a very successful season. Yeah, it absolutely was, and and really weird to see that given you know that Welch was playing, Wake Forest still not able to capitalize, and and Tristan Jackson, who's come up big a few times this year, um, with four or five 100 yard games on the season, comes up with another big one, ten receptions for 111, one TD for Tristan, Mo Neal putting in an almost 100 yard effort on the ground is always a good combination for that Syracuse offense, uh, and one they've they've kind of uh, had a hard time grasping. The matching up the successful passing game with the solid ground attack has been something that hasn't been coming up much for them uh, this year. Um, but it, it worked out, and you know it, it was strange to see Wake Forest uh, kind of end the season the way they did, given where they were going. Now, obviously, there were uh, some extenuating circumstances uh, that led to that, but still, an, an odd thing to see. And if you're Syracuse, uh, you know kind of a, a great ending to the season with as much of a dumpster fire as that program was. It says a lot about Dino Baber's ability to pick his team up and dust them off and at least get some some respectable wins uh, heading out the door on the season. So good for the Orange, bad for the Deeks. Yeah, big year for Dino next year. I think it's a prove-it-to-me kind of season if he remains there. I don't know if, if he'll have many opportunities after this season to leave, but we'll see what happens up there in Syracuse. Uh, another big upset, Tim. Boston College, 26, Pitt, 19. BC gets that sixth win and is bowl eligible for the sixth time in seven years. That gives Adazio a shot at seven wins as uh, you know as they head into bowl season, if he makes it to bowl season. So Adazio, he's 44 and 44 as head coach. He's a guy that's definitely on the hot seat. So we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens there in uh, Chestnut Hill, but... You know, I have a good feeling a change is going to be made. Um, you know, I don't know if it happens before bowl season. It typically does in this kind of circumstance. So keep our ears open for that. Uh, the Eagles forced four turnovers in the game. You know, it was their first time beating Pitt in Pittsburgh in 21 years. They rushed for 264 yards, which was absolutely that. That was the shock of the game. Pitt had been allowing 92 yards per game. AJ Dillon had 178 on the ground, 32 carries. He just continues to to be the workhorse of this team. And you know, if I'm AJ Dillon, I'm probably not playing in the bowl game. Uh, worst defense in the ACC belongs to Boston College, and Pitt can only manage one touchdown. So that Pitt offense is really starting to struggle, or has really been struggling over the last few weeks. And uh, you know, this week was no different. Yeah, and and I know you've been busy and you've been hopping around, just making it home in time for this podcast. But Adazio was actually fired uh, today, about six hours ago. So, oh wow, yeah, I missed um, that one. Yeah, fresh off the wire, Adazio's gone. 
uh, not even shaving that beautiful mustache could save him from the inevitable. Um, so he marches on. The Eagles, again, capped the season in fashion for him. Um, and, yeah, just a strange output from the Pitt offense. They haven't been great, but to, to have the the game they had against Virginia Tech compounded with this game just kind of uh, <clears throat> leaves a bad taste in your mouth in regards to the Pitt offense. So Narduzzi, no doubt, uh, steaming over that. Yeah, so we'll, I'll be interested to see where Boston College goes uh, with the head coach. Uh, you know, it's it's not I – don't, I don't know how good of a job it is. I mean – it's a tough place to recruit. It's a program that's got decent history, not great history. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, they they just can't seem to figure it out up there. I mean, Adazio wasn't horrendous, but he wasn't great. I don't know if Boston College consistently is more than a seven-win team, maybe nine in a good year. Yeah. I mean, he, he was the Herb Sindak of the North, so... What you're going to get out of him is some solid seasons. I think people are going to look at Adazio as maybe a better coach uh, than he actually was um, because there is that question, much like there was with the NC State basketball program after its struggles in the 90s with Herb Sendak kind of bringing them back to slight relevancy, um, saying that maybe NC State was wishing for more than it than it could uh, than it could chew or stomach at that point in time. and. You know, I don't like that argument because, I mean, you kind of know if you're Boston College what you're going to get out of Adazio is seven, six, seven, eight wins, somewhere along those lines. And there's really going to be nothing higher than that. Um, and and, and you, you always need to try to strive and be better. So I'm totally fine with them moving on from Adazio. I think he was a known quantity. Um, and if you if your ambitions are slightly higher, and I think Boston College is a team that could be slightly better than what Adazio had. Um, maybe putting in an eight to nine win season more frequently than he had. Um, you know, that's admirable, and I think they should go for it. Now, the issue, obviously, as you mentioned, is going to be it can't be a very attractive job. Um, the fan base doesn't seem to show up for football games. The recruiting area has to be one of the toughest in the nation, uh, given, you know, what your talent pool looks like and the uh, kind of the competition with the Big Ten that you're going to have um, in that area of the country. So, it's tough. It's yeah, tough. Like the and mighty it's be Rutgers hard. Scarlet Knights. You know, right. Well, it's not the it's not the boots. Rutgers you got to worry about. It's the Penn States uh, that you well, got to no worry doubt. about. It's the I just Michigan's, wanted to I just wanted to shout out to Rutgers there because well, they're sure. my fave. Because big news, Greg Schiano going back to Rutgers, also hot off the press. So um, you know maybe the Scarlet Knights turn it around. Maybe they turn it around. Um, but yeah, it's going to be tough. I mean, who who wants to go to Boston College is going to be the bigger question and. Um, you know, somebody will be willing to do it, um, you know, and, and maybe maybe they go to Bowling Green and, and pull out a Scott Loeffler and maybe he wants to become a head coach. You know, I'm just I'm just yeah. spitballing here. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Uh, Duke 27, Miami 17. So, uh, wow. Jaron Williams benched <laughs> once again. Uh, the Duke Jeez. defense got nine sacks. The Manny Diaz Hurricanes are reeling. You know, weather did play a role in this one, heavy rain, but... You know, Quentin Harris, he got sacked six times, still managed 49 yards on the ground, finished 10 and 24 for 156 and a touchdown, a very Quentin Harris line. You know, Duke finishes the year five and seven. Miami finishes the year six and six, and it was a painful six and six. Um, you know, it looked like this team had kind of turned a corner a couple of weeks ago, and did they fall off of that cliff fast? I mean, Back-to-back losses to FIU and Duke. 
you know, Duke is not good, you know, and there's just no excuse for Miami to lose that game, to lose the FIU game. I don't know what's going on in Miami. You know, the story came out about Tate Martell is, you know, taking personal leave once again this season. So this is the third game he's missed due to personal reasons. We don't know what those personal reasons are. Um, No idea what they are. He said he's not transferring, you know. Just everything around the Miami program right now just doesn't feel very good. And if we think back to about a year ago, a year ago, we were getting the news Manny Diaz was hired. You know, it was, you know, Swag City in South Beach and everybody was on fire. And, you know, this is great news. And a year later, they're like, oh, do we need to make a coaching change? So it's crazy uh, what winning the headlines can do for you in the program. Uh, I don't think Miami's going to make a coaching change. I think that would be a little bit uh, of a too too quick of a knee jerk reaction. Um, but I also think that Diaz needs to get the ship righted next year, or else he's gone. Yeah, he does. And you know, there's there's a fine balance when you talk about swag. Clearly, um, when you look at me and I'm driving the minivan around town, I am nailing the right balance of swag. Manny's got a bit of a problem where there seems to be almost too much sauce on that Miami sideline. Um, You know, there's that gif floating around of the Miami player dancing as they're down double digits to FIU. Um, That stuff can't happen. And it seems to be too much of that happening right now for Manny. Um, And I don't know if this is a situation where he's a new coach, um, you know, a new head coach kind of feeling this whole thing out, maybe a bit off more than he could chew. The bright lights may be brighter than he thought they would be. I don't know, but the team obviously doesn't look like they're playing together and all pulling in the right direction. And certainly, uh, I, I think you obviously have bigger problems when the lack of focus is that bad during a, a fairly important game. Um, but he's got to figure it out, and he's got to figure it out fast. So it seems like he's got one more season, kind of as a show-me season, to, to say, hey, uh, what can you actually do for us? And you know, his recruiting has been good enough. Um, we'll see if he can get the ship righted, but this was a uh, a very poor uh, debut season for Manny and company. Yeah, very poor indeed. I think the uh, turnover chain and the touchdown rings or whatever the hell those are called should probably just be smelted at this point and um, oh, yeah. done away with and put into a a safe for uh, you know Safety future use. Yeah. yeah, sure. Sure, why not? Last why game of the plenty of uses for a gold ingot. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, last game of the week to talk about here: Florida State at Florida. Uh, Odell's perfect record is no more. Uh, Florida forty, FSU seventeen. Um, Florida State just couldn't really get much going here uh, in the first half, and Florida just kind of turned it down a notch there in the second half it felt like so Kyle Trask 30 of 41 for 343 and three touchdowns you know Florida only had 77 yards rushing um, but you know Florida State just couldn't get much going defensive or offensively uh, Cam Makers had a solid game 17 for 102 but 50 of those came on one carry you know James Blackman 14 and 23 150 nothing spectacular so FSU they finished the season 6 and 6 they will go bowling it won't be a uh, you know high level bowl but bowling nonetheless and uh yeah I think the FSU coaching news is really going to start heating up um you know will Odell be the guy you know I kind of think he should be I don't think he will be um I think they're going to go for a splash hire like they always do so 
Let's see what happens down there in Tallahassee. Uh, but, you know, again, kind of a disappointing – or not kind of, a disappointing season for Florida State. Um, you know, that's that's really all I have to say about them. Yeah. I mean, you'd like to see Odell get the shot. There's something kind of romantic about seeing a guy who's given everything he has basically towards one program um, to finally get a shot to lead the team. Uh, somewhat akin to what Bud Foster rising to the top for the Hokies would have been. But yeah, they, you, you would think Florida State would go with the splash higher. It seems like there's some smoke around James Franklin and whether or not that's real or just drummed up by the media, who knows. Um, but at this oh, I'd point, love for James Franklin to go to Tallahassee. Are you kidding oh, me? Me too. Me too. Um, it's a disaster you know, I, waiting to happen. I, it really is. It's got disaster written all over it. Um, but who knows? Maybe that maybe that comes to fruition. Sad to see Odell take the loss. Cal Trask looked great. Uh, Florida really, really sneaky good this year, um, especially since Felipe Franks is no longer chucking the ball down there. I think he he may have held them back the past couple seasons. Um, and no disrespect to Felipe, uh, that just wasn't seem to working out there or wasn't seeming to be working out there. Uh, this is yeah, not the just, same team that struggled with Miami first be, game of the season. He's not going to be a quarterback at the next level if he makes it to the next oh, no. level no uh so i think if he if he does decide to transfer you know maybe he looks into a new position yeah i mean i don't know Just, what his yeah, talents could be at a new position yeah i don't know i don't know athletically speaking how he could translate i don't i haven't watched enough of him to know um you know what that scouting report looks like but um yeah i mean i, I think felipe maybe he could surprise some people um, you know, if he goes to a system that's maybe better suited to him, um, who knows? It's hard to write off a quarterback completely this day and age, but it definitely wasn't working in Florida. And Trask has, um, you know, reignited that program and, and looked really, really good yesterday or, um, you know, day before yesterday at this point. I'm losing track of what days it actually are or what days it actually is, and clearly my grammar's slipping. It's almost midnight. What are you doing to me, Justin? Hey, you're you're the one that delayed us today, so well, I, I, you can't plan for a keyboard not working. Which brings us to the IT segment of Chowder and Grits. If any of you know how to get a laptop keyboard working that has no issues, there's been no spillage, no nothing. Um, you know, maybe you find me on Twitter, shoot me a note, say, "Hey, uh, do this driver thing or something," because I imagine it's probably driver related. But who knows? Um, let me know if anybody out there wants to give me a little uh, free IT tip. I'd appreciate it. Great. Yeah, this is riveting, riveting podcast material. <laughs> um, so that's our show. You know, our uh, preview episode for the AC Championship coming up next week, or this week, I should say, in a few days. Uh, we'll also talk about bowl projections. You know, there's uh, 10 ACC teams that are going bowling, which is uh, tied for the most of any Power 5 conference, so I just want to throw that out there. So, for all of the uh, the ACC is horrendous talk. They still got ten bowl teams, um, so take that, America. The <laughs> ACC isn't as bad as everybody says it is. Take um, that, Paul Feinbaum. Yeah, Paul Feinbaum. Can't wait to see it. it. Is he has he surfaced since the Alabama I, loss? You know, I don't know. He's probably still sleeping into his uh, Coach Saban slanket on the couch somewhere, but. Yeah, he, I don't think he's surfaced, and if he has, I, I don't pay him enough attention to know. But you know he's reeling right now. He's oh, hurting. There's no doubt. There's no so doubt. I, hate to, I hate to step on someone when they're crushed in Paul. Uh, consider this an olive branch. Uh, you know, I'm hurting too. So if, if you need somebody to talk to, 
Uh, you can find us on social media, Chatter and Grits, or me at Timmy Jim with two M's at the end if you'd like to talk about it. Yeah, there you go. So that's our show. This will be our final two episode per week week. Uh, so we've got a, a new episode coming Thursday for you. But after that, we are going to go back to one uh, as we approach bowl season. So we've got your bowl preview coming up and all of that fun stuff. So, yeah, we, uh, we're excited for bowl season. Um, can't wait. A lot of fun games to talk about. Potentially, I think we find out where everybody's going December 8th. Uh, but until then. Thanks for listening. Once again, we're Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. You can listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you head over to Twitter or Facebook, type in Chowder and Grits, you'll find us. Tim, why don't you tell these fine people what they can do for us? Leave us some reviews. Share our content. As we mentioned, you know, the reviews help. Uh, four or five stars preferred. If you want to leave anything lower, just let us know. Holler at us. Maybe we can talk you out of it. I'm just kidding. Leave what you want. Um, but the reviews certainly help. They increase our visibility, and that's key for us to get new listeners uh, subscribed to the pod. So, uh, you know, we certainly appreciate that. We appreciate all the listens, and thank you guys for tuning in. Um, you know, as always, regardless of however tough it gets, uh, we're happy to be Hokies, um, whether the Commonwealth Cup is in our possession or not. So, uh, so signing off, as always, let's do a Go ACC, a Go Hokies. Um, And uh, good job, Justin. See you guys later.